0: the praise of your name for the glory of the reality of your presence in this place I thank you that you're a God that invites us in that Isaiah tells us that you say to us come now let's reason together come Let's talk about this. Though you're stained red, you'll be white as snow. Though your sins are red like crimson, they will be white as wool. That's what the cross did. Not only are you the one who says, come, who makes the offer, but you're the very offering that that we find the result in oh so Lord let us come let us come boldly before the throne of grace as we just were singing so boldly let our hearts come boldly to you confessing our junk because we know the promise that you're going to wash it white you will annihilate it if we'll just come you have come here come here into this world and you've come here into this place let our hearts respond and come to you for the glory and the fame of your name we pray these things Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and all God's people said amen please remain standing for the reading of the word
1: it's back on oh hi are any of you suffering hardships you should pray are any of you happy The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins." James 5 thirteen
0: through twenty Amen this is the word of the Lord please be seated thank you music team guys what up a... and for and Brian and and, and you guys for praying um, there are mornings where I just feel like I ought to just say amen and be done because anything we do here from here on out is just going to be worse <laughs> like um, and then I have to stop and go except that everything we're doing here from here on out is his word and that's never worse right so we are we, are in this series on prayer, but I, I want to remind you what led us to going into this um, to spending like eight weeks on prayer because because i 'll be honest like we we pray more than any church I know now I know there are churches that pray more than us i 'm not saying that i 'm saying out of the churches I know we pray more and and whether it 's in the amount of time we commit to prayer in our Sunday gatherings whether it's things like even having those daily prayer pointers in our um, bulletin so that you can, we can all be praying the same thing. And those are posted on our Facebook page and on our Twitter page. And they're sent out in the daily email that we send out because we're committed to this idea of praying together. Um, the amount of time, like even in what we want to do in our D groups as far as praying for one another. Like we are a praying church. I, I believe that. And yet I also know that the Lord has business for us in how and, and in, in our prayer life as a church family. We have not arrived yet. And if I don't and, and outside of what Kylie just shared with us in Revelation, I know that's the ultimate arriving. But until then, I think there's much we could be doing to follow the Lord's lead in how best to pray. And so we felt led to, to not just say, let's do a message or two on prayer, but let's spend some time, not talking about how to pray so much, but more about like the do's and or even or even why we don't pray, the busyness of life, et cetera, but more just in about the, like, like. What is the motivation for our prayer? And then what is our attitude in our heart meant to be? And Mark did such a great job during our prayer time talking about humility and how it is the humility of our heart that leads to the kind of prayer we need to be praying. Not that anything we've done that the Lord has led us into has been wrong. It has been all, I mean, if you've been here for the last hour, you know that it has been all right. But there's more that we could be doing. Right? And, and, I, and so I stopped and I was asking myself, so, so why don't we pray more? Like, why don't I pray more? And yeah, there's, there's all those practical reasons that we don't pray. But ultimately what it amounts to, guys, is we don't pray because we don't think we need to. We're self-sufficient. We don't think it will help that like somehow we are, like, like we are self-fulfilling but I, and those are big ones. But, I, but here's what I also think. I also think that we don't pray more because we don't believe God really wants to help us. Because we believe that God is a God who sort of keeps us at arm's length. We don't confess. Last week we talked about confessing our sins to him. We don't confess our sins to him because we're afraid that, we might, that he might actually just look at us and go, yeah, not that one. Right? Like somehow we could hide things from him. I talked last week about how not only is there nothing you can hide from God, here's the thing you don't need to. We don't need to hide anything from God. And as we talk today about confessing our sins to one another, this, we, we don't do that well for the same reason. And here's the reason it's shame. Guys, it's it it, it is, and, and you may not think of it as shame. You may not call it shame. You, that may be too strong a word for you. I'm here to tell you that what the enemy has done is he has turned what what the Holy Spirit uses as conviction, and he has twisted it to shame, and it keeps us from God. And so I'm going to do something that I almost never do, and I'm going to review a little bit from last week by taking us back where to. We're going to start where we ended last week. So turn if you would, not to James, our reading today, are the teaching passage today but to get back to genesis 3 here we go and and, and because if we if we don't understand this idea out of genesis chapter 3 we will not pray as we ought and and if we and here's the flip side though if we do understand genesis 3 we will pray powerful prayers and we're going to see that in james today Guys, if if we want to be the kind of people that pray the kind of prayer that makes a difference, that moves the arm, that moves the world, is what Spurgeon said, then then what we have to overcome is what we see right here in Genesis chapter 3. And by we, I mean us and God, we overcoming it by his help. So look at Genesis 3 and verse 7. So he says, and again, I, I talked, this is where we ended last week, actually. It says, the eyes, of the, the eyes of both, Adam and Eve, were opened and they knew they were naked, right? And so that, that, is, a, that is a way, they, they were ashamed. Now, we have to go back to, to chapter 2, verse 25, when God made us as his image bearers, Adam and Eve, he made them as, as his image bearers. It says, and the man and the wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Do you see what, now what happened between verse 25 of chapter 2 and verse 7 of chapter 3? Satan is what happened. Sin entered the world. Right? And so, we, so we'll keep going and it says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What are they trying to do? They're trying to cover their shame. Right? And, and I don't think they got that idea on their own. I think the enemy whispered it to them. Oh, you better do something about this mess. Look, what's God going to think about that? You better do something. And then he says this, And then I heard the sa- and then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves, there's that shame, from the presence of the Lord God. because they had never done that before. They'd walked with God in the garden for we don't really know how long, for a long time, and they were never afraid of him. And now they're afraid of him because the enemy has convinced them that they should be ashamed and guys, I'm telling you, I know this is, some of you are like, okay, that's Adam and Eve, that's a, that's a story in a garden. Guys, I'm here to tell you, every single one of you suffers with this. And the ones that don't think they do suffer the most. The people that come across as arrogant, as narcissistic, as it's because they have figured out in an unhealthy way how to hide their shame. And that comes out in so many unhealthy ways. And so all, this, this is for all of us, and, and we all need to come to grips with this reality. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you, in verse nine. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Shame, shame, shame. Right, this is, this is what Adam is feeling. But then, this, look at God's response. Adam, who, who told you you were naked? Who put that voice of shame in you? You know who told him he was naked, right? Satan. Now, he does convict Adam. He doesn't just let go of the sin. He says, did you do what I asked you not to do, Adam? That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. That's that moment as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because I remember my first twenty-some odd years of not being a believer in Christ, being an atheist, as Janine was talking about in in the Ukraine, right? I was right here in America, and I was an atheist, and I didn't feel shame when I sinned. And when I and when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, I would love to say that all of a sudden I stopped sinning. That is not true. Those habits die hard. You spend twenty-something years pursuing unhealthy habits, and they die slowly. And many of those habits, I'm still trying to put. To to death today by God's grace. But what happened immediately from, from, my, from the, in my regeneration, in being born again, was for the first time in my existence, I felt conviction. And that's what that's what God's trying to do here. He's saying, He's saying, Man, why? Because conviction is God's way of pointing us back to our need for Him. But but what the enemy has done is the enemy has tr- has twisted that voice of conviction. He's tried, he's tried to make his shame sound more like God's voice because he figures that will keep us from coming to God. And I, and I talked about these things last week, and we'll finish up our review. The ministry of conviction leads us back to God, but shame drives us from him. Right? Shame causes us to stay away from God. It causes us to, and this is what, how it relates to praying, it causes us to stop praying. Because, guys, if, we're, if we feel shame... For things, because, because we all know we, we sin. guys. being a Christian does not make you sinless. It does make you a saint in God's eyes because of what Isaiah said. He makes us white as snow. But the reality is we all know we are in sin. We, we, we still struggle with sin. And because we don't get the grace of God, like understand the grace of God, our response is to hide from God. Which is exactly the opposite thing we're supposed to do. Because who covers their nakedness for them, Adam and Eve? God does, right? Look at, We're going to finish up in Genesis here in verse 21. And the Lord God made Adam and Eve garments of skin and clothed them. From the sacrifice of, a, a, um, of, a, of an animal, like as a picture of Christ, he covers their shame. It's a picture of him going, guys, if, you'll just come, if you would have just could you come to me. Adam and Eve, I'll cover your shame. I'll do it the right way. And it's a picture of the cross. What he's telling us today is, guys, if you'll just come to me. Come now, let's reason together. Come to the cross and I'll cover your shame. Guys, how, how do we hide our shame? You know how we, we say things like this. So how are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm good. Now, now you know what? we've we've kind of replaced that with, with this. Uh, you know, I, I, man. I, I'm here's the, here's the here's the new one, right? I'm busy. Or I or or I'm tired, right? Which goes along with busy. So, but but none of those things have anything to do with heart issues. You know why? Because we are scared to death to actually say, you know what? I am hurting. Like I'm grieving the loss of my dad. We don't want to say that because we're afraid that people are going to think we're weak. We're afraid that they don't, they're, going to, they're not going to give us the time. We're afraid of the rejection. We're afraid that if it's actually something really dark, we're going to, they're going to be like, oh boy. Like, really? And guys, that is all of the enemy. It is. I mean, there are, there are legitimate reasons we've earned that reputation with each other of not being a place where we, can, where we can dump our junk towards each other. But we have to recognize this morning that that is the enemy's work in our lives. And it's what James is going to talk about. So if you would, find James chapter 5. James is towards the end of your Bible in your New Testament. And, and we're going to look at today what it looks like, what humbled sharing looks like. What humbled, and, and, then, and then more importantly than what it looks like, we're going to see from James the power that comes when we are willing to risk sharing. And what we're going to see is, that. so, so, so the, the training thought that we have today is how does this idea of sharing our struggles with one another, how does it strengthen our souls? And, and James is the book that we were actually teaching through back when the pandemic started and we lost our school to meet in. And, and so we've been through James before, but we're going to look at James 5, 13 through the end of the book, and what, we're gonna, what James is going to show us is that here's how it strengthens our soul. It invites people to participate with us. It ignites the power of prayer in our lives, and not just our prayer, but our prayer. Confessing our sins to one another is is. Like the match that lights the power of prayer, I mean it really, and we're going to see that here. And then the last thing is, and this is probably the hardest thing for us to overcome as a group, both in those that are wanting to confess and those that are receiving the confession, is that it involves the grace of God in how people respond to us. And here's the problem, guys: grace is messy. It is. We talked about that in our Foundations class this week. About Because the, the question this last week on Tuesday in Foundations was, isn't, isn't like just adding a bunch of rules to Christianity, doesn't that just make it religious? And, and I don't have time to go into the hour and a half long conversation that we had. But the, but the reason we like religion, black and white, is because it's clean. It's, or we like... No rules at all. Because it's like, then I don't have to worry about anything either. Grace is this mess in the middle of those two things. And, and we have to be willing as people of grace to live in that mess. And I'm talking about the mess from our perspective. Here's the beauty of grace. From his perspective, grace is what? It's not messy. It's completely clean. It's white as snow. It's white as wool. Right? It's like super bleach. But for us... It is, a, it is a mess because we're frankly pretty messy people. So let's take a look at our first point and see how this soul sharing, like our, how, how sharing our struggles strengthens our souls in, in, in that it invites people to participate with us. Look at what he says in verse 13 If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. If any of, among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, guys, first of all, all the pronouns there in the hymns could be him and hers. Obviously, um, it's just the, the way it was written in James's time. But guys, here's what I want you to here's what I want you to see in this in this first part. We pray. We 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 our prayer time here on uh, during the first half of our service is always a little bit different. Right? And we've had times and, and want to continue to have times where we pray over one another. Right? Like actually get up and we walk over and we pray over people. And some of those times we pray for physical healing. And we have seen people physically healed during that prayer time. She's sitting right here. Stephanie could not walk into our church when we found a new place to gather and started, pray, started doing this prayer time. Couldn't walk, could barely walk in, prayed over her for 10 minutes, and she walked right out we've seen that happen. That's not what James is talking about. It's, it's not all he's talking about. See, what I mean by that is when, when we read words like if anyone among us is sick, what do we think of? Right away we think physical ailment. That's not what that word means. As I study, as I restudy this passage, it, it that there's, a, he uses the word sick two times in this first part of this um, in the first part of this section of his letter. They're two different Greek words, and they both mean the same thing, more or less. It means weakness. So what he really is saying here is, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you cheerful? Guys, are those physical ailments? I mean, they can, they can, they can be emotions related to physical ailments, but is suffering and cheerful physical? No, it's emotional, right? So is sick in verse 14. Is anyone among you he could be saying, is anyone among you weary? Is anyone among you just worn out? Guys, what he's talking about here is, again, not that praying for, for physical healing is not something we should do and we will do and have done, but what he's talking about here is he's talking about emotional and spirit, emotionally and spiritually. And, and part of how we know that is because if we look at verse 15, he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And then he even goes on as if to double down on saying, guys, I'm not, and that word sick is like, is a different Greek word than in verse 14, but it means the same thing, to be weary, right? It it says, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So So if we're gonna assume that sick is only physical, then here's what we have to think. We have to have have some bad theology like they had in Jesus' day. What the Jewish people absolutely believed was your sin was the cause of your physical ailment. right? So we either have to have that theology that if somebody is suffering physically, it's because they're sinning. Now guys, Hebrews 12 talks about the discipline of the Lord. One of the ways the Lord disciplined me 15 years ago, no 18 years ago, was by giving me a physical ailment that I struggled with for almost a year because he was getting my attention. So, and it was because I was living in sin and he was waking me up. Now, so can physical ailment flow out of sin? Sure, but guys, just because someone is sick does not mean they're sinning, right? It doesn't mean that God is somehow punishing them for that and, J- and James is trying to make that point. He's saying, guys, we, you we have to understand that whether it's suffering, cheerfulness, Weakness, sickness. What he's talking about is emotionally and spiritually. Are you feeling down? And if you are, here's the solution. You not it, initiated by the person who is feeling those things. That's a big deal. Uh, initiated by you, call on the elders of the church to pray for them. Why is it a big deal that the person who's suffering initiated? There we go. Thank you. It because it shows the heart attitude. If you have to be convinced that you need prayer for something, then you're not really at the place God wants you to be, broken, to come and go, man, I need prayer. I'm, I, I'm not confessing it. I'm having it dragged out of me or just hoping they'll figure it out on their own. What he's saying is if, if you are, because that's where he's going to go next in our second point, but he's saying because if you if you are weak, hurting, emotionally, spiritually, then you initiate, invite people into that. Be willing to risk that. But guys, that is so hard. Why is it easier to ask for prayer for physical things? It's out of our. It very well could be out of our control. Like I didn't do anything to cause my bum knee, so can you please pray for my bum knee? Good. What? Why else? It's obvious. It's obvious. Good. Less personal. It's just safer. And, 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 guys, physical doesn't necessarily have to mean, like, physical ailment. What about, like, because here's the other kinds of prayer requests we get a lot. Work is crazy, I'm, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm busy. I, I, I ask for that, too. Like, when we're having our meetings, I'm like, hey, somebody says, hey, how can I pray for you right now? We we're trying to ask those questions to each other. And more often than not, my flinch will be something about my schedule. Something, it will not be something emotional or spiritual. Why? Because that's risky. It can be shameful. Like, it, it, it can make, and it's the enemy, and, and so what I'm doing is I'm sowing, when I, when I say, well, just pray for my busy schedule, I am sowing together fig leaves to cover my shame. Right? Instead of going, man, I am just really struggling right now with patience with my wife because of whatever, or with something with my, whatever those things are. Right? Like, I'm just not, I, I'm not willing to risk that. So at your, look at your talking points question. It says, um, it's, they're on the back of your little notes taking thing, if you didn't know that or not. It says, how does open, I'm sorry, it says, um, what keeps us from asking for help? So what kinds of things keep us from asking for help? Pride. Fear of man. Fear of man. man, what are they going to think of me if? Good. Time, that's a good one, too. Time to talk about it, right? I mean, that's, that's, that is, that's Mark, thank you for bringing that up. That is another reason that when somebody says, hey, how you doing, we'll, we'll answer with, you know, I'm doing okay. Because we're like, you know, if I unload on this person right now, we're talking 20 minutes, and, right? And I don't really want to burden them with that. And I'll tell you right now, and there are certainly times where that has to happen, but more often than not, that's just an excuse, too. Because, guys, part of why we're do, we do the how can I pray for you right now question and we, and we try to make this thing about you have 30 seconds to tell them how to pray and then they have 30 seconds to pray and then we switch places and people think that's so weird is because even for something that's deeply emotional and physical, if all you've got is two minutes because you're two people passing each other in the Costco, you, you can say, you know what, I'm really hurting right now over the death of my dad. As opposed to going, you yeah, know, I'm doing okay. Right? And that person, right then, if they feel led, could go, let me just pray for you right now. and they could, they don't, It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. The Holy Spirit knows the details. My, so my point is that you, So you can share, so I'm glo- so glad you brought this up, Mark, but you can share emotional, spiritual issues without it taking an hour. In fact, most of the time when we take an hour, you know why? Because we've turned it back this way right? We're justifying, we're reasoning, we're, hey, it's all about me, can we just, you know, and that's part of why, like, that's another reason we do the 30-second prayer request thing. It's like, you don't have to do that. All we really are trying, we're trying to tap into the power of prayer. If you confess, you're clearing out some junk and the person prays for you, there's where the power is. Okay, so how does openness and sharing your struggles strengthen your soul? One, it invites people to participate. The second thing is, and this gets to the point I was just making, it ignites the power of prayer in you, and frankly, in those people who are praying for you. So take a look at verse 16. In this first part of our, um, this second point, theref- it, it ignites the power of prayer in you. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now we have to stop because when we see a therefore, we ask, what's it there for? He's saying, therefore, because you are struggling spiritually, emotionally, maybe physically. Because of those things are going, those things are going on in your life, therefore, in light of that, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now guys, just to read, because we see the word healed and we think physical ailment. I'll let you know a little secret. That word healed there in the Greek isn't talking about physical healing. Everywhere outside of the Gospels in the New Testament that that word in the Greek is used, it's used for faith. It's used to talk about healing faith. For example, Romans, um, I'm sorry, in... um, 1 Peter 2.24, don't turn there, but in 1 Peter 2.24, he says, He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been, same Greek word as James is using. So is, is Peter saying, by his wounds we have been cured of every physical ailment? Well, I sure hope that's not true, because then the cross didn't work. Because there are physical ailments, Right? What he's saying is you have been healed spiritually. You've been healed faithfully. Guys, as, remember last week I, I gave the example of our triangles and the idea like in our marriage, if, as, as we grow closer to Christ, I think it was last week, we grow closer together, and that's true in a family, and it's also true in a church. Guys, that same idea is playing itself out in this idea of confessing our sins to one another. See, the thing is, if we, conf- if we first... because. Part of it, when you confess your sins to one another, chances are pretty good you've confessed them to Christ. So you've already turned your eyes upward to look to him. And as as you invite people in from the church, your church family, into that journey with you, we're all growing together. Because we never leave those moments. We always leave those moments feeling closer to Christ. Those moments meaning when someone has confessed their sins and we've prayed over them, Everybody, everybody, not just the person who got prayed for, everybody feels closer to Christ. Right? When Debbie last week shared her struggles with a friend, and, and made like you, I could feel the room growing closer together as she's asking for prayer for that. That's what confessing does. Guys, look at. So, so let me ask you this. So, so if we're willing to confess our sins to one another, who are the kind of people we should be asking to pray for us? People who what? Confess their own sins. Because that's where the power is. Like it's, in other words, it's people who believe in the power of prayer. Look at, look at James, just turn a couple pages to James 1 verses 6 through 8. So James says, but let him, so I'm in chapter one, verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the way of the sea Tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose he will receive anything. So he's saying, if you're not praying, believing, don't figure you're going to get what you're praying for, because you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways. If we don't believe that the cross is sufficient, if we don't accomplish the work, if we don't believe His grace is sufficient, we will not confess our sins. So why in the world, when 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 someone says, hey, can you pray for me? Oh, sure. I guess I will because I have a title of elder, so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pray for you, right? but i don't really believe in the grace like fully believe in the grace of god i come to that person as a double minded man what's the that prayer is a wimpy prayer right he's saying no you need to pray believing but what keeps us from praying that way especially when it comes to our sins the answer is shame guys the answer is we struggle with this idea of is Christ's work on the cross really sufficient for me? And, and oh man, if it is, or if, I, if I'm not sure it is, what, what are they going to think if I tell them my sins? If I tell them what I'm really struggling with? If I let them in on just a, I, I'm not saying throw up all over everybody all the time, but I am saying, like, but, but we live in this fear of like, like if, if I just share a little bit of like that cold, dark night of the soul Man, are they going to think that? Wow, what are you doing? I mean, try, try being a pastor, right? I, mean, I I figured out a long time ago that I couldn't put up that front, and we've had people that over the years have left the church. It's like, well, I, and they've said to me, "I don't want my pastor to show his weakness," and I've said, "Then you're in the wrong church, because I'm a sinner," and that's the deal. Like, like, and and and, but we have to be. It doesn't just go for pastors. We all struggle with this idea of sharing with one another. But what is wonderful about confession is is, is the example. It's like it's like having dirty pipes and having the little rotor rooter dude come clean out your pipes, and the water flows better, like into the sewer, right? It's the, that's what confession does. It kind of cleans out the pipes. It, it's it's how does confessing our sins to God and then to one another make our prayers more powerful, it gets rid of the baggage that's blocking the way. right? And so so ultimately, what James is saying, so if you look at what he says, he's like, hey look, in verse seven, so I'm back in James five, in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What that means is, Elijah was a man with the same sin struggles we have. He was living in insecurity. He was, and when we started the series in James, we saw that. He's like, Elijah was just like us. He prayed fervently that, we might, that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and, and heaven gave rain and earth bore its fruit. He's, what he's basically saying is, Elijah got over himself, trusted that God was going to deal with it, was going was gonna to answer his prayer, but he did so praying earnestly, That our, the ESV says fervently. That means he prayed praying. He, he prayed a great prayer. and It's not in the kind of prayer, it's like the intensity of his prayer. He prayed in prayer. Matthew Henry said, says, says it this way, it is not enough that we say a prayer, but that we Pray a prayer. Right? Like we like we have to we have to and 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 once we've given our junk to the Lord, confessed our sins, and we've seen his grace grace is sufficient, we've seen, we've experienced that moment where you're like, wow, he he doesn't keep me at arm's length. Right? That that will invite you into deeper prayer. That will invite you into praying more and more fervently with one like for one another. Right? And, and so, your, your second talking points question is this. And I'm going to give you just a minute at your tables to talk about this. How can we get better as a faith family at praying for one another and with those outside of the family? How can we get better? So turn to whoever you're sitting with. How can we practically get better, and I'll ask for some responses, at praying for one another and for those people that are outside of our faith family? Go. Go. Okay, so I just want to get a couple of people, like what, like give me, somebody got something good to share, or maybe it's not even good, but you just, you're willing to risk sharing it, because we are a safe place here. So, um, yes, mom. There is a line in Kyle DeRobert's Roberts' book, which I was talking about, I've been thinking about all week, and it's like, what is behind the heart that is praying, and that really should be. Mm. So what? So I so she was referencing referencing this book that I'm going to read from here in just a minute, um, and just talk about like what is it, What is at the heart behind the one praying, or at the heart of that prayer? And guys, that's, that is a huge thing. Like like along like what we have to get better at. I have to get better at this too. Is as you're talking with people, fighting through the facts they're sharing and getting to the heart of. The issue, Like, I pray often as I'm talking to some of you, to, me, to people, and, and even when I was in class all day yesterday as we were doing some stuff in class, I'm praying, like, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the heart of this person, not what they're telling me, right, as I'm trying to listen to what they're telling me. So that's awesome. What else? Work through the awkward. Do it anyway. I love that. Work through the awkward. Do it anyway. What would you say, Mark? Heck yeah. <laughs> He's like, work through awkward? All right, I'm out there. Let's go. That's awesome. I love that. That's good. But you know, honestly, that's part, like, like part of why young adu- like I'll be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to make us old people feel bad, but the young adults, frankly, in this church are blowing us away. Yeah. They- <laughs> oh, I'm glad it wasn't one of them that said that. I thought, I, I, I thought it was Caitlin. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Caitlin. You are- that is so not like you. <laughs> like, wow. But I mean, seriously, but you know part of why? Because they're just, they're just young enough and, and not smart enough um, to not care. Like, we adults just bring so much baggage. We do. Like, we just, I mean, you know why? Guess, why? Guess what the difference is? Jamie, how old are you? 22. 22. Scott, how old are you? So, Oh, man, that's awesome, because that's good math right there. That's 30 years. So, because if, if you'd have said something else, if you'd said something else, I'd have had to do the math, and that's not good. The enemy has had 30 more years to shame Scott. That's the difference. That is. And, and so we're just like, man, that's so much more baggage. So much more baggage. So, and yet, if we would just flip that thing and go, but the Holy Spirit has had 30 more years to free Scott and to help him live in the power of that freedom. But we are so caught up in a shame culture that we even hear people shaming us when they're not. Like, like we will go home feeling judged by people when the reality is they didn't even really hear what we thought we said. And we will, but man, we will, oh man, the other now they don't even like us anymore and I'm so worried about what they think of me. And I'm, and I'm telling you, all of that is enemy, 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 enemy. Good. Anybody else? One more. I, I yes, Tina.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. So I so take the time. And ask people, like, and, and that's such a huge deal, and I, and, I, and that's probably where I'm the most convicted as I was preparing this is like whether it's here on like do, do I get here early enough on Sunday to actually have real conversations with people? Do I stay later so I can have real conversations when I run into people? Do I do I take the time? Do I do I, do I schedule the time? Right? Like, even when I'm running to Costco, like I, I try really hard. How's your you know the, how's your day? How can I pray for you? But but man, if I'm in a hurry, all that goes right out the window. I don't have to, I don't even want this person to talk to me right now. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put both my earbuds in and pretend like I'm listening to something because I. You know, I mean, seriously, right? Well, that's what we do. But a huge part of it. So I, I am, and I, I am gonna read. Do something I, I haven't done yet. I'm gonna read to you. I'm a part of page 167 out of this book um, because I think it just really speaks to. And by the way. Guys, if you haven't read chapter 19, if if you haven't read anything else in this book, it's not it's from last week's reading. Chapter 19 on shame and conviction is some of the best stuff I've ever read about this. Like, I mean, I'm just telling of all you read, steal somebody else's book and read chapter 19. But I'm just telling you, it is freeing. So, here's what he says in in page 167, talking about confessing our sins to one another. He says, what about this? Maybe if you really want to know if you found a friend, humbly confess your sin to them. If they can handle it, you might have found someone actually worth walking through life with. Or maybe you really want to find a good church. Humbly confess your sin to some of the people in that church. If they can handle it, you might have just found a good church. But how do we know they can handle it? Maybe they'll respond with things like, yeah, me too, or I can relate, and then he goes on to say this and this is the part I really appreciated. I don't know about you, but I'm over people and churches that can't handle the reality that people sin. Right? I'm ex- it's exhilarating and I'm sorry, and I'm also tired of friendships that come with the pressure of needing to have a perfect marriage, kid, jobs, or family. It's exhilarating and life giving once you've found people who are willing to admit they don't have it all together, willing to confess they aren't perfect. Heck, they aren't even good. Those people are I can relate to, he says, the one who is trying to be they 're the ones who are trying their best to love God and love those around them, even if they don 't always achieve it guys i I am so proud of the work the Holy Spirit has done in this body over the last few years in this regard that we are a place that is striving to be a place of confession. But there is still work to be done here. So I wanna show you our last point, and we're gonna go into our time of response here in just a minute. But so, how does openness and sharing strengthen your soul? One, it invites other people to participate with you, so you're not alone in it. Two, it actually clears the pipes, so it ignites the power, like confession ignites the power of prayer. And And if you're asking people to pray for you, ask the people who are confessing their sins because their prayer is more powerful, and then the last thing is, it involves the grace of God in how they respond. And this is where it kind of turns from the person who is asking for the, like confessing, to the people who are hearing it. Because let's admit it, guys. Part of why we don't confess sins to one another is because we're, we're understandably concerned about what people think of us. Like, like, there's a part of us where the enemy has shamed us into hiding, and there's a part of us that has frankly just been rejected by so many people when we have opened up that I'm like, I ain't doing that again, right? I mean, like, like, like I said, the, the number of people who have left our church because they just didn't like the fact that I was open about my struggles, I, or, or for whatever reason, I didn't meet their expectation because in our leadership meeting or something, I was just confessing my struggles and frustrations. I'm like, well, I don't want my pastor to be like that. Well, I'm sorry. Like, like, I've got to have a safe place too. And if it's not my family, and I'm talking about you people, if you didn't know that, if it's not my family, then who can I be that with? Right? You know why pastors are failing all over the place? Because they're putting on a show and I'm not talking about smoke machines and music. I'm talking about their lives. Right? Like, we have, we have got to get real. And it's got to start here and with the rest of the leadership. And it's got to keep going down. And the reason for that is this. Right here, look at what he says in verse 19 of, of James 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So one, just to drive this point home one more time, unless verses 13 through 18 we're talking about spiritual and emotional things, then verses 19 and 20 are completely out of place. It's like almost like James just went, I just got to finish this before I finish this letter, so I'm going to throw it in there. No, he's saying if, if someone leads someone who has... That word wanders from the truth, it actually means who has lost their way. If someone who is, so it could be somebody among us who you know is struggling with habitual sin. They have lost their way. And you pursue them to bring them back in grace and love as we speak truth, right? What have you done? You have saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sins. Some of those people may be unbelievers. So I, I, I get that there's a lot there that we're not going to talk about. But ultimately, he's saying spiritually, this is. But, but here's the key for us. How do you respond when people confess things to you? How do you, how do you respond when your spouse confesses things to you? Parents, you want to raise up a bunch of legalistic children like I did? And, I, and, I, and I'm, that's not their fault, it's mine. How do I respond when, when, the, when I see somebody who isn't living the way I think they are supposed to live? Right? You'll, raise a bunch of, you'll, you'll raise a bunch of Pharisees. Now, I praise God that he has broken that out of us over the last few years, although there's still Pharisee that shows its ugly head in my life and in theirs. But I'm telling you, it, it's how do we respond to people that are coming to us whether overtly, because they're confessing it, or even covertly, because they're just showing it, to sin? Are we doing it the way Jesus would? We're done in James. Turn to John chapter 8. Turn to John chapter 8. Guys, our job, there's a couple of quotes that will come up on the screen. Our, I've used them before. Our job is to love people without inquiring whether they are worthy of it. Right? Jesus didn't ask, is this person worthy of my love? Why? Because the answer was no, and he didn't care. Right? Ridicule, gossip, talking about people behind their back. When somebody comes to you with their junk, and instead of breaking, down, like, like breaking with them and trying to help them, talking to other people about their stuff, guys, that is not only a massive sin, it just proves just how shallow we are. If we're talking about those people that have problems, even and, and guys, this, I'm talking about people in the church, right? We are, we are demonstrating a faith that is like not even an inch deep, right? Ridicule is the tool of shallow people, it just is, right? and so we have to get over that. So look, look at what look, let's look at how Jesus did it in John chapter eight. Familiar story, so we're going to be able to go through it fast, but I want to I want to we're going to end our time with this because this is how we should respond to people. Because for us to become a culture, like, like to, I talked about like last week's message about confessing to God and this week's message about confessing to one another, if we really want to be a church that, that takes even where God has led us in prayer and blows the doors clean off of it and we see real power, confessing to one another is going to, and, and, ha- is, and, and, and that's part of it, how we receive those confessions is what's going to make that happen, honestly. Um, because pe- there are people in our body that do and will risk confessing. We just have to be prepared to receive it in grace. So look at what happens. He says, they went to the- everybody went to their own town, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Guess what Jesus always did in the Mount of Olives? Prayed. Early in the morning, he came into the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And here we go. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in, their, in his midst. And, he, and they said to him, "Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say?" So, so they, they've, I mean, guys, just I, I know it's a familiar story. Guys, think about this from that woman's perspective. I mean, can you imagine? I don't know where they got her from. I don't know like, what, how far, but they drag this woman out of the act of adultery. We're family-oriented church, so I'll keep that right there. They drag her to the temple of God. They throw her down, and they say, this woman is a sinner. Can you imagine the shame she feels because of what they've done? That's their response to Sin. Here's a question. Where's the man? Where's the man? Sounds like a setup. She was set up. Right, and, and, and there's all kinds of theories about what the, how that could have been, how that could have gone out. The heart behind it is they weren't really interested in anything that had to do with the love of God. What they were interested in, obviously, was catching Jesus, but look at how Jesus responds. They said... They said this to test him, that, he might have char- that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and writes in the ground. And, they sa- and, and as they continue to ask him, so he's writing this stuff in the, in the dirt, and they're continuing to say, so what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And, it says, and then he says, and Jesus stood up so he could see them eye to eye, and he says to them, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stones. Again, there's a lot of theories about what he was writing in the dirt. I think he was writing sins. Like different things, stealing, covetousness, whatever, right? He's writing sins in the dirt. Then it says, and, and once more he bent down, because they're still saying, well, what about this woman? What about this woman? And he wrote on the ground. I think what he was writing was men's names next to those sins. So he's like, okay, I know, Christian, this one, this one. and Because look, look, what, look what happens. But when they heard it, Wait, heard what? He's writing in the dirt. He's not saying anything. What's the herd? Right? The herd is, they are feeling guilt, conviction, whatever, over their name being attached to that sin and him knowing it. And it says, and they, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And then it says this, Jesus stood up, And said to her, Why, or woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? So he's he's the last one in the dirt with the woman. When it says Jesus stood up, it actually is this picture of like him standing up with her. So he stands her up and he says, Where are those people that were condemning you? Does anyone not condemn you? And she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus says this, neither do I condemn you, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. And then he says, go and sin no more. He's saying, guys, he's saying I am, here's how I respond to sin. I forgive it, and I give you the secret to live powerfully without it. Go and sin no more. All right, now, now, The beauty of this story is, guys, if it's not obvious to you, is there was one person in the scene who was justified and could have rightly thrown a stone. And he's the one dude who never would. That's Jesus. Guys, he's the only one who has the right to throw a stone, and he won't. So when someone brings their junk to you, when someone confesses to you and you throw stones either at them or behind their back, you are worse than these Pharisees and scribes. Right, we need to be a place. and I'm going to ask the music team to come up and we're going to go into a time of communion, the the trays are going to get passed around and I'll come back up and lead us in taking the elements. Um, And the word is going to be read over you. So just if you are a follower of Christ, we'd love for you to um, just take the cups and hold on to them until we share, partake together. But guys, we need to continue to become a place that is not safe for sin, but is safe for the sinner. Right, like we need to be a place that says, you know what, I I I will receive you as you are because I love you that much because Jesus loves you that much but I also love you enough to not let you live as you are because Jesus doesn't either. Does that make sense? Like We, we want to be a place that says, come, come, let's reason together. Okay, whatever, whatever the issues are, let's, let's put them out here and trust that God's grace is sufficient, that his power is perfected in the weakness that is before you, right, that that we would walk towards people in pain. Does that describe us? Man, I hope so. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the beauty of the truth that is the gospel I thank you that your grace is sufficient I thank you that all of the work is done on the cross and as we respond to that reality in um, communion and in song Lord and whatever you would move on our hearts to do in these next few moments as we, um, as we ask you to search us Lord, to things that maybe we need to confess um, but also ways that we could get better at receiving graciously. Graciously. That we would be people that would say, that we'd be able to look at our brothers and sisters or, or, or a hurting lost person whose eyes have been darkened by the, by the enemy who is so far into shame they have put up so many walls. They can't even see the beauty that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that they would see that beauty and how we interact with them. That, that we would be quick to say, I don't, I don't condemn you. Because apart from the grace of God, I am you. And then we would be able to point them and each other back to you in the cross. And in doing that, watch what you do in our lives. That's the beauty of it, Lord. The beauty of it is the beauty of the gospel. that there is freedom here that there is there is no place for shame. Adam and Eve. He said, where are you, Adam? Who told you you were naked? Who did that to you? Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us be a people that can help each other. Say, who did that to you? Like, who, who put you in this place where you feel so defeated and unworthy when the God of the universe has made you into his image and you are of infinite value to him because his son died on a cross. Goodness, Lord, why do we cheapen your grace and how we deal with each other and how we deal with our own junk? Let there be no place for that here. Not in my heart not in our heart. Lord, let us live in the victory that is ours in Jesus. We celebrate that.